Remain standing for our sermon text. Two verses today from Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Listen carefully because this is God's inerrant word. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Thus far the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for your Word and for giving it to us and giving your Spirit to us who helps us to see the treasures that are in it, the truths that are in it, and who helps us to believe it and apply it. And so, Lord, do that work in us and among us, even this Lord's Day, as we meditate on these two verses from the book of Romans. We ask for this in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I love it when I'm surprised by just how well the the hymns that we sing prepare us for the sermon, or sometimes if they're after the sermon, relate to, to the passage that we just read and, and preached on. Our opening hymn, O Worship the King, speaks of our our frailty and our feebleness. It even uses those two words, feeble and frail, twice, and that's a I'm, I'm going to use those words several times in this sermon. In the last hymn we just sang, Luther's famous hymn, Mighty Fortress, also speaks of God as our helper. He is our helper amidst the flood of mortal ills. And this verse even uses the word helper in relation to the Holy Spirit. A couple years ago, I preached a sermon that was noticeably shorter than most of my sermons. I did it with the hope of highlighting and bringing into focus uh, the simple point of that text, but I fear that my plan backfired then, at least for some of you who appeared to be shocked and even a little distracted by the brevity of my message that day. Uh, and, you, and you mentioned it to me. So, so this time I'm going to warn you uh, up front. Uh, if everything goes as planned, today's sermon will be noticeably shorter than usual. And my intent is to draw attention to the simple main point of the passage. You'll also notice there's no handout today. We're just going to meditate on this passage, observe it, make some applications, try to focus in on the main lesson point. That, that, that Paul has for us. So in, in the two verses in front of us that I just read, Paul, ad- Paul addresses what is probably the most challenging, most perplexing matter in the day-to-day, day-to-day life of the Christian. So I said his point is simple, but the application is not easy. Uh, what is simple is not always easy. How do I know what to pray for? I, I, of course, I know I'm supposed to pray God's will, but how do I know what God's will is? 
so that I can pray it. And there's something of a conundrum here. On the one hand, before I can know how to pray, I, I need to know God's will so that I can pray for the, for the right things. On the other hand, paradoxically, how do I find out what God's will is? Well, I, I discover it through prayer, not apart from prayer, but in prayerful communion with God, through the prayerful reading of God's word. So do you see the dilemma? To pray effectively, I need to know God's will, but to know God's will, I need to be a man in prayer. So what gives in this conundrum, in this dilemma? Is there a way through this puzzle? Yes. Though the way through doesn't have the effect of making me stronger or smarter. That's not the, that's not the application at the end of this sermon, that God makes you stronger and smarter so that you can do this impossible task. The solution doesn't make me less ignorant or less helpless in the end. At least not primarily, even though we, we can talk about growth in these things, growth in the understanding of God and His will and maturity. Those are, those are things, too. That's not primarily what Paul's talking about here. The, the solution doesn't necessarily, at least not right away, make me more competent in prayer or a better discerner of God's will. That's not the promise here. That's not the application here. The solution here comes by realizing this. The most important praying that happens inside of me, the most important discerning of God's will that happens inside of me, are performed not by me. They're performed by the Spirit who lives inside of me. And from the inside of me, where He lives, as we've already seen in earlier verses of Romans 8, there He offers up prayers according to God's will. That's the good news. I am weak and ignorant but the good news is that the Spirit is strong and all-knowing, and He loves to help those who are weak, those who are feeble, those who are ignorant of God's will. The problem being addressed in this short paragraph is one of the multitude of weaknesses that plague all of us. So right out of the gates, Paul says in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The word weaknesses is plural. Our fallen sinful condition has left us full of weaknesses, as, as Luther calls them, uh, the flood of mortal ills. In the next sentence, Paul homes in on one particular weakness. He's not covering all the weaknesses today. He says, for we do not know what we ought to pray for. In other words, we don't know what God's will is. We don't know what the content of our prayers should be. Do you know that struggle? Do you know that, that pain, that frustration? Yes, we all do, and often it drives us away from prayer. When we try to go to God in prayer, we're so often confused by life and reality and relationships and the world and spiritual things, so overcome by, by the groanings 
of this life so overcome by our weaknesses that we don't even know how to begin our prayer sometimes. Have you ever wanted to pray, but you couldn't come up with any words? It's often happened to me. And Paul knows this feeling. It happened, it happened, uh, it happened to Paul. Uh, he's speaking from personal experience here. This is not the, the experience of weak Christians or something like that. This is our experience, he says. And right away, he provides what we can call the gospel solution to our problem. And if you look at the last part of verse 26, it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groanings. That word intercede means he prays for us. He makes petitions on our behalf. That's what intercessory prayer is. Prayer for someone else. And the Spirit helps us to pray when we're too weak to know how to pray, which is really all the time. And he, and while He does help us to pray, actually even more, uh, what Paul's really talking about here is He just prays for us. It's, it's not just Him helping us, it's also something that happens independent of us, as we'll see. And, and this is important because sometimes we're, we're weaker and more confused than other times, but we're always weak, and we always need this help that the Spirit offers and gives. We're always, at our best, ignorant of large portions of God's will, of God's desires. Because of our finiteness and our fallibility, we can't perceive fully or grasp adequately what it is that God wants. So Paul says, the Holy Spirit comes alongside our groaning. He compensates for our deficiency. He intercedes for us with prayers that are perfectly every time in line with God's desires. In verse 27, Paul explicitly connects the inner prayers of the Holy Spirit with God's will. He writes, and the one who searches hearts, that's the Father, and there, there are a lot of Old Testament passages where God is the searcher of hearts, the examiner of hearts. And the one who searches hearts knows the mindset of the Spirit because He, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to God's will. So that word intercession, that word intercede again comes up. And He does it for the saints, on behalf of the saints, according to God's will. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the help of the Spirit. So that's, that's an overview of the passage. Now let's go back to the beginning and walk through it, making these some observations and applications along the way. Paul starts out by saying likewise. Well, that, what's that word do? Well, it, it points us backward to the previous verses. It's connecting it to the previous paragraph where Paul taught that believers are groaning and hoping and waiting expectantly expectantly for Jesus to come back and renew the creation and to give us our new bodies. Remember that? We're waiting for our future glory with anticipation and steadfast endurance, Paul says, even as we groan for it. And the word likewise there ultimately and most importantly serves to connect our groaning in that previous paragraph with the Spirit's groaning in this paragraph. So up in verse 23, Paul said that we Christians groan within our, ourselves, 
waiting expectantly for our adoption, our final adoption, which is the redemption of our bodies, our resurrection from the dead and the new heavens and new earth. And his main point here in verse 26 is that we don't groan alone. We don't groan alone. Think of it, the eternal God, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is intimately, personally involved in the suffering, the groaning, the faithful suffering, which is what groaning is, of God's people. The the groaning that God's people have, have been experiencing ever since sin entered the world, ever since man sinned, brought sin into the world. A marvelous truth that shines through this verse is that it is the unbelievable fact, really, that God is not aloof. He's not far off. He's not a stranger to our pain. He's not way up in the sky dispassionately observing our suffering from a distance. No, He's entered into it. He's right here with us. And we see this, we know this, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on our fallen flesh and entered into our sinful world to suffer as one of us alongside us and as one of us. And yet we find out in today's passage that the Son of God is not the only person in the Godhead who does this, who enters into our groaning. The Holy Spirit also groans with us. This is is a testament to the deep, deep love of God. The deep love of His Spirit for us. Your God, the only true God, the eternal God, the one who made you, the one who made all things, has taken up residence in you in order to walk with you and to groan with you. As you go through life's trials and troubles, life's mortal ills, Paul says in verse 26 that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It's an important word. He he helps us in the midst of our trials and troubles, but especially in our struggle to pray well, to talk to God, to pray in a way that's faithful and in accordance with His will. The meaning of the word help is, is illustrated in another passage that uses the same word, that's the story that, that you are probably familiar with, the story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10. Martha had invited Jesus into their, into their home, into her home and Mary's home, and the text says that she was anxious and troubled about many things, particularly related to showing Jesus' hospitality, right? And and you probably remember from the story that Martha's distracted anxiety led her to to the conclusion that her sister, Mary, should be helping her. So in Luke 10.40, she says to Jesus, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, this request is not really coming from a good place. That's not the point here. The point is that Martha's request illustrates how the word help works. Martha wanted someone to labor beside her. She needed or thought she needed someone to help relieve her stress and lighten her her load. She she wanted a helper. And and helper is precisely the role of the Spirit here in Romans 8, verse 26. The Holy Spirit comes alongside believers to relieve the burden, even to bear the bulk of the burden, the, 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 the main part of it. In verse 26, Paul says that the Spirit helps us overcome a specific weakness, a particular feebleness. And we could list a lot of weaknesses, right? A lot of weaknesses that the Spirit helps us in. And, and, and remember, that word is plural. So Paul starts out saying he helps us in weaknesses. So we know there are more than just this. When we could, we could think of, of ways that the Spirit helps us. He helps us to fight temptation. He helps us to produce good fruit, which we call, Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, right? He helps us to interpret Scripture and to, to distinguish truth from falsehood. He leads us in truth, Jesus says. He helps us repent of besetting sins. He convicts us of sin. He helps us to live life abundantly. He helps us to give thanks. He helps us to cry, Abba, Father. He helps us to re-enter the joy of the Lord. He helps us to love our neighbor. He helps us to experience the peace that passes all understanding. He helps us to be patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. But in verse 26, the specific need or weakness that the Spirit addresses is our inability to know and pray God's will. The third person of the Trinity helps us in our ignorance, our ignorance of God's will. And notice Paul's assumption in this verse. The assumption is that we don't know how to pray. Since we don't know how to, you know, what to pray for, Paul says, the, the, the Spirit enters into our predicament because we don't know what to pray for. Paul doesn't say when or, or if we don't know what we ought to pray for. This is the problem. It's not a problem that comes and goes. It's a constant struggle, even at our best, for we do not know what we ought to pray for. It's a statement of fact. That's our condition. As I said before, sometimes this condition presents itself more forcefully than it does at other times, but it's always the case. Paul says in Romans 11.34, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? And the answer is really no one. No one knows God's mind. No one can really counsel Him with a lot of wisdom when you compare it to God's wisdom, right? He does invite us to to pray. He does, ha- he does invite his prophets, his friends to come to his throne room and to pray. We could say, give him counsel, but it's not because he needs it. It's not because our counsel is anywhere close to his wisdom. 
And yet God still calls us to get to know his mind, to petition him for things according to his will. We are to strive to do this better and better. And we can grow in this. He invites us to approach his throne of grace even with confidence in Jesus. So, can, so there's tension. Can you feel the tension between our limited knowledge of God and his mind, his thoughts, and our duty to pray according to God's mind, according to God's will? The, the tension, it really is more than tension. It feels like an impossibility. And that's what we're supposed to feel. If, you're, if that's what you feel, you're in a good place because you're in a position where the Spirit will help you. And that's, that's where the Spirit comes into this. The Spirit enters into our impossible plight and He prays on our behalf with wordless groanings, accomplishing for us what we're powerless to do. Accomplishing in us, through us, and for us here what we are powerless to accomplish on our own in our own prayers, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding of God's will. And that's what Paul means when he says the Spirit himself, it's emphatic, the Spirit himself intercedes. This this is kind of the climactic uh, point. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groanings. The Spirit prays specifically for you with nonverbal groanings. He he comes alongside your groaning prayers and offers up even better groaning prayers on your behalf. And the best part of all of this is that the Father always hears and answers the groaning prayers of the Spirit on your behalf exactly the way they are prayed. We can't say that about our prayers, right? God always hears our prayers. He's always listening. And we can say in some, some sense He's always answering. But, but not in the way that he answers the Spirit's prayers, which are perfectly in line with God's will all the time. And so the Father answers every one of the Spirit's intercessory prayers that, that goes up from inside of you. I mean, really, can you imagine otherwise? Who's going to make the case that, 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 the, fear, that the Spirit sometimes, or the Father sometimes tells the Spirit no, right? Uh, of course, that's, that's, you know, that's absurd. It's inconceivable that the Father would deny the Spirit's pleas and petitions for you. So if you're a believer, you should take tremendous encouragement that the will of God is being fulfilled in your life, prayed from your being, despite your weakness and your inability to know what to pray for. God's will is not frustrated by your frailty and feebleness. It's not thwarted by your finiteness and fallibility. That's always there. Instead, God's will is fulfilled in you because the Spirit prays for you. And the Father always says yes to His prayers. Jumping ahead a little bit, Paul's teaching here fits very nicely with with what comes next, what we're going to study next which is that God works everything together for your good. He orchestrates all things so that they work out for your good, specifically so that you are conformed to the image of His Son. That's the first good thing that 
that is mentioned right after that. So all things work together for your good. Well, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, everything's going to work out so that you are conformed to the image of God's Son. So God's doing everything in your life to that end. It's no wonder that all things work out for your good if the Spirit is effectively praying for you so that God's desires, God's will is accomplished in your life. I mean, the Spirit's praying that this, God's very intent on accomplishing this in you. It's His will, and He's even inside of you praying for it, making sure that it happens. And I want you to notice that Paul isn't just talking about the weakness of some Christians. Again, he says, our weaknesses, which includes himself. The human frailty that makes it challenging to know and pray God's will is not something that only immature Christians experience. Even great men of faith like the Apostle Paul dealt with this difficulty and deal with this difficulty. And we know this is true, even of Paul. He's not just saying our, you know, you. Uh, he's not, he, it's true of Paul, we know, because in a different book of the Bible, Paul says that he pleaded with Jesus three times. This is him wrestling in prayer with Jesus. And three times he asked that the, that the messenger of Satan, which he calls the thorn in the flesh, the thorn in his flesh would be taken away. Please remove it. Three times. But it turned out that Paul was, we could say, praying in ignorance. This was, this was a moment that he didn't know what to pray for. He didn't know what the will, the ultimate will of Jesus was on the matter. Now, I, I think that prayer was still a, a fine prayer. It's not a sinful prayer. And I, and I think we could even say God answered it. God used it, even that prayer, to shape Paul and to conform Paul to the image of Christ. And through that prayer, he came to a greater understanding of God's will. But the prayer itself was made in ignorance of God's will. He didn't realize until later, after he had prayed and struggled and wrestled and, and had communion with God, fellowship with God, he found out later that Jesus was giving him this thorn to keep him from being conceited. The thorn was designed to show Paul that the grace of Jesus is sufficient for Paul, to show him that the power of Jesus in Paul is made perfect particularly in Paul's weaknesses, not in his strengths, not when he's strong. Fellow Christian, the power of Christ is made perfect in your weaknesses. That, that's primarily where the power of Christ is perfected, not in your strengths, not in your gifts, not in what you have to offer and what you bring to the table. That's not where the power of Christ is perfected. It's perfected in your weaknesses, including your weakness in prayer. Remember that, including your weakness in prayer. So we, we could even go back to Paul's uh, situation there and say, even his weakness in prayer, not knowing what to pray for, not knowing what God's will is, even in the prayer itself, God's power, Christ's power, is being perfected in Paul. So it's a good thing he went to God in prayer, isn't it? It would have been wrong for him because he may have been unsure what he was praying for, didn't know if God was going to answer to not pray that prayer, right? But he did. In his weakness, even in his weak prayer, 
God's power was made known and perfected in Paul. And the same is true for you in all of your weakness, weaknesses, particularly in your weakness in prayer. If you're a believer, your frailty, finiteness, fallibility, and feebleness are not ultimately liabilities. See, this is not a downer. When, when he talks about our weaknesses in the opening sentences, you know, you, you're weak, you have a lot of weaknesses, you don't know how to pray. Well, that's not really a downer. It's not a liability. It's a setup for something far greater than anything we could ever offer or produce. In fact, they're not liabilities, our weaknesses, our frailty, all these things. They're actually, we could even say requirements, they're prerequisites for being filled with the strength of God. Do you see how this works? The power of Christ isn't given to the, to the capable, smart, and strong, and resourceful. It's, it's, not bes- it's bestowed on the weak. That's what we see over and over in Scripture and even in this passage. Verse 27 assures that the prayers of the Spirit are always answered. It assures us of this. Why? The last part of the verse. Because He, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to God's will. It literally just says according to God, which is a shorthand for according to God's will. What's going on in this verse? It's kind of hard to understand how the first part of verse 27 fits with the second part. There's a because there. Well, how is the second part because of the first part? Um, there's a little bit of ambiguity there, but here's the, here's the point. The idea is that your heart, remember in the first part of the verse he says, he searches heart. Your heart we've already seen, is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And and you go up just a a few verses in Romans 8 to see that. This means that when God the Father searches hearts, when He searches your heart, as, as Paul says He does in verse 27, when God searches your heart, He finds the Holy Spirit living there. And there, in your heart, God the Father hears God the Spirit interceding for you with groanings that the Father understands perfectly. The Father knows the mindset of the Spirit, Paul says. He understands the mindset of the Spirit. What what he's saying there is he understands what the Spirit is saying. He understands these groanings. You don't. I don't. But God the Father does because He knows the mindset of the Spirit. And they share the same mind. The, The Spirit knows the will of the Father because they share the same will. The Father knows the mind of the Spirit because they share the same mind. Yet you can't understand what the Spirit is communicating to the Father on your behalf, but the Father can. To you, it's wordless groaning. Or maybe you don't even perceive it at all. But to the Father, it's perfectly clear communication, intercession, as Paul calls it, prayer. So we see in the Gospels, the Son of God praying to the Father. Here we see the Spirit praying to the Father. And do you sense how personal all this is? I, this is this is intimate stuff here going on. Personal. 
the Spirit lives in you, in your heart, and prays for you to the Father from your heart. The content of the Spirit's prayers is perfectly in accord with God's will because he knows what, unlike you, he does know what he ought to pray for. You do not know, but the Spirit does know. And as the Spirit prays on your behalf from his dwelling place in you, in you, in your heart, the Father searches your heart. What's he find? He sees the Spirit in there and understands the Spirit's prayers. Or we could say he hears the Spirit. He knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit knows the will of the Father. So we see the Trinity here, and two persons of the Trinity here interacting with, with our heart as the intersection. Later, we're going to see that Jesus also intercedes in this chapter. But, but we, we're not there yet. So, Again, fellow believer, those of you who belong to God, the people of God, think about what's happening, what's going on here, what's happening inside of you. Did you know that a prayer warrior lives in you, in your heart? And not just any prayer warrior, but God himself. However, none of this suggests that we have no part, that we have no responsibility. In fact, it's, the wording suggests otherwise. Remember, the, Paul, the word Paul uses is helps. The Spirit helps us. And this implies that we're, that we're already active, already doing something. Of course, whatever we are doing is also by the grace of God, by the power of God. But in this moment, the Spirit comes and helps us in what we're doing and he, he comes alongside us to help. Remember how Martha wanted Mary to come alongside her and help her. What Paul's saying here is that the Spirit comes alongside us to help us. His groaning prayers come alongside our groaning prayers. Which raises the question, what if you're not praying? What if you're not groaning in prayer? If you're not a praying person, if you spend little or no time approaching the throne of grace and making your petitions known to him, then are you getting the help that you need from the Holy Spirit, the help that Paul's talking about in this passage? Does the groaning and praying spirit help those who are not groaning, not praying themselves? Well, I'm not sure that we can have a lot of confidence that he does. These groanings seem to go together. The Spirit's praying is helping us. Paul begins the paragraph by saying that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Prayerlessness is a confession of strength, not weakness. Prayer is a declaration of dependence on God. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence. Prayerless people are, are not claiming to be weak. Prayerless people believe they are strong and self-sufficient. You see, if you're not groaning and praying, what is there's nothing for the Spirit to help you with or in. The groaning and praying Spirit can't come alongside you and help you in your groaning prayers if you're not actually a praying person. 
the praying and groaning spirit lives and prays inside of those who pray and groan inwardly. So what does God see when he searches your heart? Does he find you groaning for God's glory and God's will in prayer? Does he, does he find a groaning saint? If so, take heart that he also finds there the spirit doing the same, except with more effectiveness. He helps the saints, Paul says, in their groaning situation, their groaning condition. But what he does that is analogous to what you're doing is far more effective. So take heart. Take heart. And really, I think this, this provides the strongest motivation to prayer, strongest motivation to be a person of prayer that I know of, that I can think of. I, I'm, I'm not motivated to pray because I shouldn't be because I'm confident that my prayers are articulate, well-informed, in line with God's will, you know, mature in all these ways, lacking ignorance, full of knowledge. Hopefully I'm growing in that. That is a work of God in, in the saints, growing in those things. But I'm motivated to pray for other I need to be motivated to pray for other reasons. I'm motivated to pray because when I offer up my weak prayers in faith, in humility, with you know, fervency, the Spirit comes running to my help with sympathetic groanings and with far better prayers on my behalf. Is there any better motivation to pray that when you do so, the Spirit helps and does a far better job? I think that's what happened with the Apostle Paul when he was praying in weakness. The Spirit came running to his aid, to his help. And eventually we see the Apostle Paul growing in his understanding of God's will as a result. I conclude with two very simple and, and short applications of these two verses. The first application is that praying is your privilege, and the second one is that, first, praying is your privilege. Scripture commands us to pray. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, very short verse, pray continually, pray always. That's an imperative. But I wonder why we have to be ordered to commune regularly with the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, saving, helping, keeping, loving, personal God of heaven and earth who has made himself known to us and who has given us himself. Prayer is, is one of the great spiritual disciplines, but are you like me? Sometimes I wish that we didn't really need to see it as a discipline. I do. But do you, do you consider the intimacy and fellowship with those you love really a discipline? 
maybe in some, in some ways, our close relationships on earth involve a certain amount of duty and intentionality and, and thought and planning and consideration and, and all these things. And, we, and sometimes we have to discipline ourselves to do that even with the people that, that we love the most. But mainly we spend time with those we love because we want to. Because there's an inner desire. How much more should our fellowship with God be considered a privilege? Praying is difficult. It's, that's, that's the point here. Right? Paul is not... Uh, He's not naive about that, that reality. Praying is difficult in many ways, and, and, and we can even go further, and we're not very good at it. But it is your privilege, and it can become your pleasure. Second, helping you is the Spirit's pleasure. He doesn't really have to discipline himself the way we do. It's his pleasure right, right away and always to help you. God loves to help those who are weak and know it. The first beatitude is about being poor in spirit. Christ opens his manifest, his Sermon on the Mount, by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are weak and know it. The reality is that you don't know what you ought to pray for. You're not good at knowing God's will. So don't pretend otherwise. Don't try to you know, put on some kind of facade and fool others. You don't, I don't, Paul didn't. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray for. And he lives in you to help you in your frail, finite, feeble, and fallible condition. His pleasure is to help you, and he helps you most, perhaps, when you're engaging in the privilege of groaning prayer. Let's pray and ask for God's help in doing these things and ask for the Spirit's help. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how it reveals your love for us, your presence with us, your care for us, and your help for us. And we, we need your help to know how to pray, to know how to pray your will. And we need the Spirit's help because we are always weak in this endeavor. We never know very well how to pray. And so we pray that even today, even now, in this corporate prayer service, even this week, as we go to you in prayer, that you would send your spirit to help us and to groan with us, to pray for us according to your will. Accomplish your good purposes, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.